Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 13th episode, the Pastor Maldonado episode of the podcast. Yes, Lord Maldonado himself is the last driver to sport the unlucky number 13. I'm here during the off week, sandwiched between two doubleheaders. Uh, the last two weekends, we had the Spanish Grand Prix and then the Monaco Grand Prix. And now the next two weekends, we have the Azerbaijan and uh, Canada uh, Grand Prix. Both those countries will play host to the F1 Circus next. Um, I have a lot planned for the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, a lot planned, including a bonus episode with a very, very special guest that I will announce at the end of this episode. But right now, it's time we talk a little Baku. It's lights out and away we go! The Baku City Circuit has actually been on the F1 calendar since 2016. However, it's only been since 2017 that it's been called the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. In fact, in 2016, it was called the European Grand Prix, which I always thought was weird because um, the Republic of Azerbaijan is actually a transcontinental country, meaning the land lies on both um, Europe. It's on the border of Europe and Asia, and it's a part of both continents. So I thought it was weird that it's the European Grand Prix. Like, I feel like, I don't know, like France or something should be the European Grand Prix, not Azerbaijan. But anyway, less geography, more racing. This track um, was actually criticized after its debut in 2016 um, for being a little boring and just untraditional, I guess. But since then, this track has really only produced banger races. I mean, in 2017, that was an absolute classic Daniel Ricciardo took the victory, followed by Valtteri Bottas, who at one point was a whole lap down from the rest of the field, and then Lance Stroll. Uh, he was inches away from his, uh, P2, finished P3, had um, Bottas not stolen um, second place from him on the final stretch. Um, just inches past him over the checkered flag was a photo finish, as they call it. Um, but this race is actually arguably most famous for the moment between Hamilton and Vettel, where we saw them come together behind the safety car. Um, Vettel yelled into the radio, you know, oh, he brake che- he brake chested me and then drove up alongside Lewis and steered right into him, like intentionally banged wheels with him. It was such an odd thing to see watching it live. Um, like even the like Crofty and Brundle, like they didn't even know what happened at first. Like Brundle was like, did he, did they touch again? Like after didn't even realize that Vettel literally just drove up alongside Hamilton and purposely drove into him. But anyways, Vettel, he, he thought he was brake checked and Hamilton deserved a penalty, but he was actually given the 10 second penalty or stop, stop and go penalty for um, intentionally causing a collision, which I mean, he absolutely did. You can't retaliate like that. No matter what, even if Hamilton was completely in the wrong, you can't retaliate and purposely crash into another driver, even if it's at slow speeds. Um, but Vettel, believe it or not, actually still managed to finish ahead of Hamilton because he had kind of a weird result himself. While he was uh, much further ahead of um, Vettel, he his headrest became loose, so he had to actually make an unnecessary pit stop just to fix the headrest, they weren't allowed to continue driving because it was a safety issue. So Hamilton ended up losing out, um, I think. So yeah, they were fourth and fifth in that race. Um, absolutely wild in 2017. And I guess I'm going through year by year just because of how crazy these Azerbaijan races are. And I think it just provides a lot of hype to the race that we might get um, on Sunday. 
So in 2018, there was a Drive to Survive classic moment. If you've seen the series, you absolutely know what I'm talking about. This is when the rivalry between Ricardo and Verstappen had its, I guess, biggest moment. Um, they took each other out of the race uh, while they were both in good point-scoring positions. Um, they were kind of battling at They were going at it all race, kind of in their own race against themselves. Um, they come together, and they were both out. And Christian Horner on Drive to Survive, like we all saw if we've seen it, was furious. And a lot of people still think that was kind of the reason why Ricardo decided to leave Red Bull that offseason and go to Renault. The fact that Red Bull decided to take Max's side in that argument. A lot of people speculate that was a huge, huge part of that whole, uh, I guess, drama, I guess. Um, but anyway, that was not the only thing that happened in that race. Bottas um, was leading the race for most of it. I think he started on pole as well was driving brilliantly and had a shock retirement from the lead of the race on lap 49 of 51 after he ran over a piece of debris. Hamilton ended up taking the win, um, but he knew his teammate deserved to win that day. I should have grabbed the quote, but he said something along the lines of like, he, he felt like weird taking the win that day because he knew that he wasn't going to catch Valtteri had he not um, had the had the puncture. So, Classic Valtteri Bottas unluckiness right there, um, and I mean, he ended up getting his redemption in 2019, and probably the least dramatic of all the Azerbaijan races, because uh, we didn't get one in 2020, um, and then in 2021, we get an absolute insane race once again, where the title protagonists, Verstappen and Hamilton, both score no points. I'm pretty sure it's the only, well, I guess, no, Monza, they would have both scored no points as well. As well there so it was the first time that they both scored no points uh verstappen who was kind of dominating the race um his rear uh, left tire failed on the pit straight um kind of resulted in a big crash it looked like it came out of nowhere you know it was just a regular lap he had had like a one two second gap over perez and all of a sudden it's like oh why is this red bull like spinning into the wall on the straight it was weird the only reason it wasn't as weird i guess as it could have been is because the same thing happened to lance stroll um further back in the race so there was a bit of a drama with pirelli there and whether their tires were i guess suitable for the race but anyway verstappen's crash brings up the red flag there's a there's going to be a restart for two laps lap 50 and lap 51 at this point in the race, Hamilton is, or sorry, Perez is leading Hamilton, and we see at the grid Hamilton's tires are smoking. But in fact, that's actually not the reason um, we had the result that we got because into turn one, Hamilton actually got the better getaway. It looks like he's about to take the lead of the race, and he has a massive lockup due to um, an accidental push of a brake bias button. Um, and it just sent him all the way back to the grid because he went straight on. Obviously, the entire grid is pushed together because it's a race restart, and he has just zero chance of making his way back through the field. Um, also, I want to mention this was the first time I was actually able to mention real-life brake bias on this show, so that makes me really happy. Um, anyways, Perez goes on to take the win, uh, his first for Red Bull, um, ahead of Sebastian Vettel, who also gave Aston Martin their first podium in F1, and Pierre Gasly took the third spot on the podium. Just an absolutely wild podium as well to end that race. Azerbaijan was one of my favorites last year. I think Hungary would have to be my favorite. Um, that was just wild. Esteban Ocon getting his first win. 
Um, I guess I, I'll leave that. I'm going to break that whole race down again once we get to Hungary this year. So I guess I'll save that for that episode when we get there. Um, but anyway, I think the reason I bring this up, because I think it's safe to say F1 fans might have high hopes for the 2022 Azerbaijan Grand Prix, considering the races um, that we've had there recently. And I think that's totally fair, because what do I what do I think will happen? Um, I also expect this to be a good race, perhaps not as hectic as last year. It's it's so hard to, um, I guess, uh, anticipate something like that is going to happen. Um, so I'm not going to go that off of the, off the wall, but I will make a very bold prediction here. I think there will be a very hard fight for pole. Um, this track consists of a lot of tight corners, many of them 90 degrees, but then there's also a massively long straight. So it's kind of, you have to find a balance. I think most, um, will try to lean more, uh, top speed because that straight is so powerful. That's where you're going to make almost all your overtakes. So I think that is going to give the advantage to Red Bull and it will help Max Verstappen go fastest in qualifying. But I think Leclerc will split the Red Bulls. He'll go number two, Perez number three. Um, And I mentioned last episode that those three typically do very, very well here. Max was dominating last year. As I said, Leclerc was actually the one who put it on pole last year with an inferior car. The Ferrari, sure, it had just been on the pole in Monaco, um, on pole position in Monaco as well. But, you know, the Ferrari was not as good as the Mercedes or the Red Bull, let's be honest here. And he got two back-to-back pole positions there. So that was extremely impressive from Leclerc. And I think with his better car in the slow-speed corners, he will be very fast. It's just that I think that in the race, it might end up hurting him because of that top-speed advantage. All Max is going to, he's going to have to stay within um, Leclerc's DRS and I think he's going to it's going to be similar to what we saw in Miami type of thing where it's like they might be somewhat similarly paced but Leclerc's not going to be able to make the move happen and Max is going to be able to make the move happen much easier because of that straight line speed but anyway um, Perez also does extremely well here he actually has the most podiums out of anyone at this track including his win last year he's podiumed in 2016 2018 and in 2021 Vettel is tied with him with three podiums as well at this circuit, but I just, he's still like, they're tied for the most. So Perez does extremely well here. And he was, he was getting those podiums in a racing point too. Vettel was getting them in a Ferrari and then the one in the Aston Martin. So Perez is arguably the, the best driver at this circuit. Like, I mean, it's based on the results. Um, it's hard to argue that. So uh, I, I think that we will see the first championship rivalry flashpoint this race. Um, it's going to end in tears. I think I'm not, not necessarily saying a DNF, but I think that Leclerc is going to get a little desperate. He's going to go for a move that isn't really on for the lead on Verstappen. And it's going to cost them both big points. I'm not saying either driver DNS, maybe they will, but I think at this point, just how the season has gone for Leclerc, especially recently, I think now we might see some desperation and that's when, you know, rivalries can boil over because someone gets desperate. I think that's exactly what happened in Silverstone last year with Lewis. He was starting to get pushed around a little bit by Max. So he says, you know what, I'm going to hold my ground this time. He desperate. I don't, I don't, it wasn't, a, it was kind of at a desperation that move into cops. I just think it was more of a message to Max. It was a dangerous message to send, but it was a message that just, he wasn't going to back down to him anymore. And it ended horribly. I'm not sure Lewis intended to do that. I really don't think he did. But 
who knows? I just, my point is, I think that was out of desperation. And I think we're going to see that kind of replayed here in Azerbaijan this weekend. Um, and I think that is going to give Sergio Perez back-to-back wins um, in 2022 and back-to-back wins on the streets of Baku. And I will say the podium is finished by um, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris. So my podium is already very bold, so it's kind of hard to give a bold prediction, but I'm, I'm going to add to it because, you know, it's Azerbaijan in very Baku fashion. Some crazy stuff's going to happen. So I'm going to say Alex Albon also scores a point here. The Williams have actually showed that they have some good straight line speeds. So that's really the only thing I'm going off of here. Um, the straight line speed of the Williams will help Alex Albon score a point here. And I also think Fernando Alonso, who typically gets on pretty well here as well, um, I think he's going to finish ahead of both Mercedes. Um, the Mercs had a bit of a rough go in Monaco, and I feel like they could have similar issues at Baku with the you know the ride hindering their confidence of their top-tier driver pairing. I mean, I think you could argue that they have the best driver pairing right now, but at the end of the day, these are all very elite drivers, and when your confidence is just knocked down a tiny little bit by an uncomfortable ride, it's going to affect your performance because we're talking – so marginally here in F1, you know, like people, I think sometimes people forget how close these gaps are. You think like, oh, five tenths of a second, that's a massive gap to um, someone like in qualifying, but like really half a second is nothing. So I think when you're just confidence is knocked down a tiny little bit and those fine margins are defining, um, I guess, the results in F1. I think you know you're gonna see um, some poorer performances from the Mercedes cars when they're not at traditional tracks like Spain was, and that's why they performed so well there. So that's kind of where I'm basing that prediction off of. And I just think Fernando's gonna get on well here. His luck finally has to, or his bad luck, I guess, finally has to run out. He's got to get some good performances here because I think he's actually driven well this season. So I'm gonna say Fernando Alonso has a great, great outing in Baku. Um, I'll also be hoping Daniel Ricciardo brings himself into the fight near the top. Uh, I got Lando on the podium, so I hope he can get in the mix with the Mercedes and the Alpines, potentially. Um, he's had a few bad outings in a row following his incident with Carlos Sainz in Imola. Um, hasn't scored points since Australia. So, um, yeah, I hope Daniel is able to get on well in Baku and maybe recapture some of that 2017 magic that earned him a win that day. Um, so yeah, you know, it feels like we haven't had an off week in a while. So I hope y'all didn't forget, uh, after predictions, it's time for silly season. Okay. So right after the release of the last episode, it was announced that Sergio Perez earned himself a contract extension with Red Bull. Uh, some will say, well, what about Pierre Gasly? But in my opinion, I don't care that Perez is six years older than Gasly. Checo absolutely deserved that deal. Um, I really do believe that this signing, though, will have a bigger effect on the grid than most realize, and it could be the first domino of the true F1 silly season. Uh, we're in a weird spot with the driver market right now, where legends of old are still occupying seats um, in the sport, and the sport's getting kind of taken over by the young wave, the new generation uh, drivers like Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lando Norris, and a few more. Um, it's impossible to predict when the trio with 13 championships amongst the three of them, Hamilton, Vettel, and Alonso, 
will step away from the sport, which makes the prospect of predicting the driver pairings for next season extremely difficult. You know, I wanted to, I was thinking of just, you know, I, it's kind of a good point in the season to just maybe make an early prediction for the entire grid for next year. And I thought about it and I'm like, man, like I just, at this point, the only way to make sense of a full grid prediction is just to randomly predict whether I think one of those three is going to retire. And to be honest, I would lean on all three of them staying. So when I, and it ends up becoming a pretty lame um, grid prediction if you have all three of them staying because not much is going to happen. Um, I think if you assume that Hamilton is going to stay in F1, then, you know, the top three spots at the, or sorry, the top three teams all have their drivers figured out. So, you know, with that in mind, it makes this seat and driver that I've, I've decided to talk about this week hard to talk about because um, it's just there's not a whole lot of seats if you assume that they're, those three are staying. But, you know, I didn't mention Daniel Ricciardo at the end of my predictions for no reason. So, yes, we're talking about the same thing everyone else has been talking about all week. Um, we'll be talking about everyone's favorite Aussie, the Honey Badger. Will he still be in Formula One or at least McLaren? For much longer. Um, ever since Danny Rick left Red Bull, he's he's been a bit of a different driver results-wise. His tenure with Renault was decent at best, um, a bit of a poor 2019, and then he drove strongly in 2020, but he, you know, he never won with the team. Um, he had a few podiums, a few good results, but um, then he made the switch to McLaren for 2021, in my opinion, probably there was an opening at McLaren for 2019. Probably would have been better to make the switch then. But I'm not here to criticize Dan Ricardo's um, decision making. I'm just here to talk about his seat. So in 2021, very, very hyped up move in the driver market. Um, and for his first race in Bahrain, you know, it got off to a solid start. He was pretty level on his uh, on pace with his teammate Lando Norris. Um, however, after that, the Honey Badger was he's at an all time low. In the first half of last season, it was getting really ugly, um, especially the moment in Monaco um, when Lando lapped him on his way to a podium. To be fair to Daniel, I think Lando looked like the driver of the season in the first half of last year. He was just absolutely on one, you know. In Imola, he almost put the car on pole. In Austria, he started on the second, or sorry, the first row. Um, he he was just absolutely on fire, and he. Had, Going into Hungary, he was the only driver to score points in every race um, before Bottas decided to play a little game of bowling on the first lap. Um, so Lando was absolutely on fire. So we can there was excuses to be made for Daniel at this point is basically what I'm getting at. Um, and at the end of the 2021 season, Daniel actually did take the only win in Monza, although Lando was P2 and arguably had almost the same pace as Daniel that race as well. He was even a little bit frustrated that he wasn't able to fight for his first uh, win. He just had to hold position. So, sure, Daniel took eight points to Lando that uh, that day because he set the fastest lap on the last lap, which is a pretty cool message to send when you're winning for the first time in a few years. But anyways, it was still, he wasn't like way better than Lando that day. Um, McLaren was just on fire in Monza. And, you know, Daniel was absolutely brilliant but so was Lando so it's he never really has looked better than Lando at any point in his entire McLaren tenure 
Um, and if you look at the entire season results, Lando beat Daniel 15 to seven in race head to heads and also 15 to seven in qualifying head to heads. So that's almost taking two thirds of, well, actually, no, it is more than two thirds. Um, so Lando convincingly outperformed Daniel last season. And even though the move to McLaren for Daniel Ricardo was kind of looked at um, an opportunity for McLaren to to excel to new heights, um, ended up being actually their hindrance um, from winning third in the constructors battle with Ferrari. Daniel, if he had just performed a little better, a little bit more consistent, um, he, they would have been third place last year, and they weren't. And I. I don't want to just put the sole blame on Daniel Ricardo, but he was kind of the reason why. Um, he was fourth out of the four drivers between McLaren and Ferrari, so you could say he was the one holding them back from third place last year. So now moving into 2022, McLaren got off to the worst of starts in Bahrain, where their car was like just not even ready to go, basically. And Daniel did technically beat Lando, however, they were 14th and 15th, so really nothing to ride home about. And Daniel was running well in Saudi just behind Lando, but he unfortunately DNF'd due to an issue out of his control. But even though he was behind Lando, again, he was on similar pace. And then in Australia, again, home race, a lot of pressure on him. He's had a lot of bad luck there. And he was basically completely even with Lando again. He finished right behind him and qualified right behind him. And they were basically in their own race just with each other, like, holding position because there was just nothing to fight for. They're just going to go home, take some great points. Um, but since then, um, it's been back to disaster for Danny. He's scored zero points since Australia and has been significantly off the pace of his teammate. And like I said, there were excuses for Daniel in 2021 for almost all of 2021, because in the second half, Daniel did kind of close the gap a little bit to Lando. Um, but I'm afraid the excuses have just kind of run out this year. You know, all the drivers have kind of gone back to square one with these completely new cars. And again, Daniel's just off to a much poorer start. He's not even in the top 10 in points. Lando is just behind Lewis Hamilton. Um, uh, and Driver61, actually, YouTuber, is a great video about Daniel Ricciardo and why his driving style translates so much better to the design philosophy of the Red Bull and how he actually drives kind of similarly to Max Verstappen, who likes a pointy front end and a loose rear end, um, where Lando performs well with a bit of an understeery car that allows him to use exceptional talent, or his exceptional talent, on the throttle. Uh, Ricardo was nicknamed the last of the late, late breakers, but that really only applies to when he's overtaking. As Driver61 points out, the Aussie actually likes to brake earlier into corners in order to get the car turned in so he can get on the throttle earlier. But in the McLaren, this doesn't work so well as the car doesn't have the front end that the Red Bull had. So Driver61 said that the way to extract the most performance um, from a car that understeers is to actually brake later in the corner, get the car fully rotated, and then throttle out. And that's why uh, Daniel mentioned last season that he's trying to adapt his driving style because the McLaren is just so different. There's also a quote um, that apparently he talked to Carlos Sainz, who was in the McLaren the year before, um, and he said like something about this this car is really weird, huh? And like Sainz, or sorry, Sainz said that to Ricardo that it was weird, huh? Um, so I mean it. I mean, it looks like the McLaren is a bit of a trickier car to drive, but, you know, he's had a lot of time to adapt to that, 
and he just hasn't got on strongly. And if, if your driver can adapt to your car, you're not going to build the car around Daniel when Lando is the young star in the team. So it looks like you might just need to find a new driver and just cut ties with Daniel and hope he flourishes at another team. Because really, it's the, the style that Daniel is trying to adapt to is the style that Lando Norris has thrived with. Um, anyways, I just thought that was a really interesting video by Driver61, so I really just wanted to give him a shout-out, um, and I suggest you guys watch the video, because he obviously explains it a lot better than I just did. Um, but, you know, let's get into driver market a bit more. I've been talking a lot of just about Daniel's performance, and his driving style even, and not so much about the actual silly season, so let's get right into that. So, like I said before, assuming that Lewis stays in F1, the top three teams all have their drivers locked up. And assuming Vettel remains in F1, Aston Martin is locked up because we know Stroll's not going anywhere. And then there's the Alpine dilemma with Ocon, Alonso, and Piastri um, that we can maybe save for another episode. But there's basically three drivers for two seats at that team. Um, so that leaves McLaren, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, Williams, and Haas. Now when you think of these five teams, McLaren is definitely the place you'd want to be at. Alfa has, uh, has had a great resurgence this year. Um, but with Bottas driving great in that car and Joe being a rookie, the Chinese Grand Prix is contracted to return in 2023. I'm not sure they'll want to ditch him just yet. He's had a very unlucky season so far, and I think he's missed out on the opportunity to show what he's made of most of the races this year, which is unfortunate for him. Um, and then when you look at Alphatari, I think there's just zero chance Daniel goes back there. That would just be a massive hit to the ego. After leaving Red Bull four years ago to return to their sister team, basically their junior team, um, plus Red Bull has plenty of juniors waiting in the ranks, and they have their own issue with Gasly, so I think it would just be weird to bring in someone seasoned like Daniel when they have so many people, um, so many young, talented juniors waiting in their ranks, right? So that leaves two, uh, obviously excluding McLaren, that leaves Williams and Haas. And both these teams do have drivers who are underperforming, and they could be looking for a replacement next year. But would Daniel Ricciardo really entertain these teams that have continually showed an inability to make solid progress? Williams hasn't been competitive at all since 2017 in the basement of F1, and Haas has had one solid year in 2018, and then a torrid season every other. Uh, so we have to think about who McLaren um, would want if they look to replace Daniel, because... Looking as to where Daniel would want to go is only half the story. So the Woking base team, McLaren, could try to pry Piastri from Alpine's clutches. Um, or they could try uh, and attract Gasly if he and Red Bull um, have a bit of a falling out. And to be honest, after those two, I don't think there's another viable option unless they bring up the current F2 championship leader, Felipe Drogovic, who has no affiliation with any F1 team. He's actually not in an academy um, so, I mean, they could go that route, but that of course brings up many risks as well and likely sets the team back a little bit in the short term. Um, and I also don't know what teams really do think of Drogovic. So that, that's a tough one to predict as well. So I think the two main options are definitely Piastri and Gasly, and they're the only really viable ones. Um, and the problem with those issues is that they both have huge contingencies. Uh, Alpine has to be willing to let Piastri drive for McLaren, which is basically impossible to predict as well. 
Um, I think he's worthy of McLaren. I think Piastri is, based on his junior career, he has matched what some of the best drivers in F1 did in their junior career, like George Russell and Charles Leclerc. So I think to assume that he would thrive in F1 um, is completely fair. Uh, so I think he, yeah, he would deserve a McLaren seat, but it's impossible to predict whether they'd want to do that. Um, and then the other one is Gasly has to leave Red Bull. I mean, he's had the chance to leave AlphaTauri in the past and he stayed put. But now I think with the extension to Sergio Perez, um, it could be, like I said, the first domino to fall for this year's driver market. Because if I had to choose which of the two is likely, I would definitely go with Gasly for that reason. Um, the question is, does Gasly really want to spend two more years with AlphaTauri in hopes to get another spot at Red Bull against Max Verstappen again, um, where he's likely to falter because Max is really just that special? Um, and on the other side, too, people don't think of this as from the Red Bull perspective. Do they really want to keep a seasoned driver like Pierre and AlphaTauri when they have so many juniors waiting and they know they're never going to promote Pierre again? What's the point of keeping him around? Sure, he might score more points for the team every season in the short term, but don't you want to develop for when Perez eventually has to leave F1? Is, do you know Sonoda is going to be that guy? Don't you want to see another junior go against him? So I think Sonoda could kind of take over that Pierre role of being the season driver in AlphaTauri. And I think mutually, Pierre and Red Bull might want to part ways because... I think it just at this point in Pierre's career, he needs to make a change. And I think Red Bull probably wants to open up some seats for guys like Liam Lawson, Yuri Vips, or Jehan Daruvula. So the way I see it, if Gasly becomes available, which I think could be likely, I think McLaren could and maybe should go for him. However, if he's not and they can't steal Piastri, then they should keep Daniel. And I think that they would. Uh, Daniel's still worthy of F1, and he is an off-track superstar. And that does have its positives. Having a, having a team with Lando and Daniel in it commercially is insane. So I think they would be happy to keep that if no other better option comes available. However, if Gasly were to take a seat next to Lando, then it gets really tricky for Daniel. And we go back to that conversation of would he want to go somewhere like Williams or Haas? Because I don't think Alfa Romeo would take him. There's no way he's going back to Alfa Tauri. And then that only leaves the backmarker teams, Williams and Haas. And at that point, I think Daniel would be left without a seat in F1. I don't see why Daniel would be interested in driving for either of those teams. And to be honest, I don't know why Haas would dislodge a young driver like Mick for Daniel. And let, like the only reason Haas would want to get rid of Mick and take in Daniel is to attract U.S. fans. Because Daniel's probably like the second biggest driver in the U.S. after Lewis Hamilton. But like they're not developing any talent. I think Mick still... like This is basically Mick's rookie season in my opinion. Because last year driving that Haas was just... It was like not even racing. So I think you need to give Mick a bit more time. He was an F2 champion. I think it would be a little bit too soon to ditch him. So then that leaves Williams, and they're kind of the same. Like They do need a solid second driver because Nicholas Latifi just is basically you never have a chance to score points with your other car, and that's going to hurt in the long term. You have to be able to score points, get some prize money, because that team desperately, desperately needs it. I think eighth place last year was really good, and I thought that they might be able to make a step forward. And it seems like they're right right back to the back, and they're not even really close 
to even like seventh with Haas and Alvatari. So I think they need someone really good like a Daniel, but I think they also need someone that you can develop. And Daniel's not really a driver that you're going to be developing. So I think that would just be a weird, weird fit as well. Daniel going to Williams, I don't think there would be mutual interest there. So, you know, it makes this whole thing really hard. I'm going to put this on my TikTok account. And I want anyone who watches this um, video to comment what you think happens with Daniel Ricciardo in 2023. Does he stay at McLaren? Does he find a new seat? Or do you think this could be the last season we see the Honey Badger driving F1 cars? Leave a comment what you think. And all right, now for the big announcement. So, as you all know, we have the Azerbaijan Grand Prix coming up. And I will still release next episode, as usual, with my race review, my prize demise surprise, the breakdown of the weekend. Um, but for my preview of the Canadian Grand Prix the following weekend, I will be chatting with none other than Tim Haraney, F1 analyst on TSN. If you're Canadian, you're very familiar with TSN. But if you're not, it's one of the two big sports networks in Canada. And uh, it's actually the network that plays the Sky Sports feed for F1 races. Meaning if you don't have F1 TV in Canada, there's really no other way to watch F1 besides tuning in on TSN. Uh, Tim is also a former racing driver who drove in the Champ Car Toyota Atlantic Series Formula Renault FIA GT Championship 24 Hours of Daytona Canadian Formula Ford. And he was the co-champion and rookie of the year in the Ontario Formula Ford Championship. Uh, we will talk all about the return of the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, the F1 season thus far, and definitely about his career as well. I think that stuff will be very interesting. Um, hopefully that episode, which I plan to release on Wednesday or Thursday next week, ahead of the Canadian Grand Prix, will interest you guys because I am no, I am absolutely thrilled to talk to Tim. Um, we're just getting started on break bias, guys. I got a whole lot of stuff cooking, so just you wait. Uh, so that's going to... That's going to do it. As I do before the end of every episode now, I'm uh, going to shout out a brilliant sim racing league in RLR, Rod League Racing. The Champions Division, which I race in, is in Mexico this Friday. We have only four races left, and there is an absolutely epic championship battle going on for a prize from the, their sponsor, Sim Racer Coin. Uh, the top four are separated by only eight points. The top three get prize. Number one, obviously, the biggest prize by quite some margin. So if you want to check out our league, go to YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook. Look up Raw League Racing to get our uh, races with commentary. Or go to my Twitch channel, Be Crazy, to watch my personal streams. So that will do it for the Lord Maldonado episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. And I'll be back with episode 14 next Monday after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Man, it's still way easier to just say back you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>